the pitch. Swing and a base hit to left center field. And Camellia's going to score. This game is over. On an RBI hit by Mickey Poe. Thanks for taking the time to download and listen to the Philadelphia Baseball Review Podcast. I'm Patrick Gordon, founder and executive editor of the Philadelphia Baseball Review. Our mission is to cover baseball at all levels throughout the Philly region, with a particular focus on promoting the amateur, high school, and college ranks. Our aim is to tell the untold baseball stories across the Quaker City. So please be sure to follow me on Twitter if you're not already at PGordonPBR. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you may be listening. Also, leave us a review. And be sure to visit PhiladelphiaBaseballReview.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. Now, let's get into today's show. My guest today is one of the top up-and-coming names in baseball media. Her sense of humor, wit, and personality maker a must-must-follow on social media. And she's somebody who I firmly believe to be the future of baseball journalism. Resume includes stints with FanDuel, MLB.com, most recently with NBC Sports uh, Bay Area, where she covered the A's and the Giants. Our old friend Gabe Kapler, a warm welcome to you, Jessica Kleinschmidt. Thank you. And that intro kind of gets me a little intimidated, but I appreciate all the nice words, but I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jess. Thank you for coming on. Uh, So we're going to talk about a lot of different things here, including your thoughts on baseball media, the landscape of baseball. You know, we have this potential stoppage looming and some other topics. But in prepping for this and knowing you, you it became clear you and I could probably talk for hours on a bunch of topics. It'd be fun engaging. I'm sure the listeners would love it. And that's a tribute to you more so than me. (laughs) Um, But for those unaware, how did you become interested in baseball media? How did you get your start? So I've always, I mean, I've loved baseball since I was little and I was lucky enough where my parents never forced it on me. They said, you know, hey, go, we need an extra outfielder on your brother's team, go play. And I, I got hooked. And from then on, I I actually knew rather early on I was not going to be the first MLB baseball player, uh, first female MLB baseball player, unfortunately. Um, and that wasn't because of my gender. It was because I couldn't hit 100-mile-an-hour balls and I was 5 nothing. Still am 5 nothing. One day we'll hit my growth spurt, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, so I thought, well, how can I express how much I like this game and, and and go from there. Now, that was back when there was only really sideline reporters that um, had female roles in the game. And I was okay with that. Um, so I was like, cool, I'm going to be Aaron Andrews. Like, I'm let's do that. And that's what was cool is the moment I started, I was like, well, I don't have to just be the Aaron Andrews of the world. And this is no disrespect to sideline reporting. Some of my closest friends do it. And I know it's a very difficult job. But I thought, why do I why does it always have to be that role? So I said, why can't I be an analyst? Like, um, for sure, I don't play. I'm not going to be on the same panel with like Dallas Braid and Michael Moore saying, I have the exact same MLB experience. But if you look in the press box, like, to the left of me, to the right of me, we all pretty much had the same baseball background. Me, maybe even more, because I played baseball with the boys up until my sophomore year of high school, and then I switched to softball. So I don't know why, I didn't understand why I couldn't be up there with them. But I also wanted to make it fun too, right? And I thought my questions make me, like when I just have all these random thoughts sometimes, and I'm just like, well, wait, why is he doing it this way? And sometimes when you ask the player that or ask the manager that, 
that you get one or two reactions like, okay, wow, you're certainly paying attention, but also like, how, do, why would you ask this question? It's a quirky thing, whether it's like their approach at the plate or sometimes, you know, the way Matt Chapman is, his butt isn't always square to the ground when he's taking infield or when he's, when he's getting ready to play and stuff like that. So I wanted to kind of pick their brains, but make it fun. You know, why were you chewing a specific type of bubble gum or, you know, you just had a wedding in the off season. Like, was that more stressful or was that, or was your plate appearance against Tim Lincecum more stressful? Like what, you know, I want to know these things. So for me, it was just taking one question and developing it into making it five questions or five stories and stuff like that. And I think social media really truly changed my life and, and Twitter alone became kind of my platform. And I wanted people, people to have fun with it, but I also wanted them to trust my knowledge and trust the fact that I was asking the right questions and, um, and everything like that. And engaging with my followers was super, super important. Cause you want to know what they want to want to see. You want to know what sure. they want to read. You want to know what they want to watch and everything like that. And you want them to ultimately come out to the event itself too. Like you want them to have FOMO when you're covering a game that makes MLB happy, makes the team happy. It makes my clicks go up, whether they hate the article or not the boss is happy because they're clicking. So everything like that, you want to be well-rounded in all aspects of social media. Even if I'm just taking a selfie on the field and then I get, you know, photo bombed by Tony Kemp, that's like a dope thing. You want people to be like, Oh my gosh, it's really cool. Like the players can approach her and and do stuff like that. So I wanted to hit every single, not just demographic, but platform and, and the way that you produce it and the way that you uh, show it off and, and everything like that. So that's ultimately how it happened. It was, me trying to may be a mainstream fan but also be approachable as a journalist trusted as a journalist and find that balance which ultimately I'm still struggling with to this day because sometimes I'd be a little bit too fanboyish sometimes I'm too comedian sometimes I'm too journalistic so I love being able to find the balance of all of those and deliver it and that makes my job that much more fun and challenging no, and and I one of the things that drew me to you was the fun aspect of it. You know, you and I were mentioning before the show, sort of this idea that you know baseball media is so traditional, it's so conservative, it's so you know by the book, and and you know baseball as a whole is that way. And I think what you bring is this interesting perspective that you know, especially the younger generation can you know fall in line with and follow. And you know, I think that that kind of goes along with what you're talking about. You know, making this a bit more fun and palatable to some people. You know, if you can get some fans or or some people maybe that aren't baseball fans, but to follow yeah. something that was interesting or funny that you said that that may pull them into the game. Like at the end of the day, yeah, that's a win for everybody. I agree. And one of my favorite things to tell people is, you know, I mean, I have a lot of girlfriends who don't like sports and that's not a stereotype. It's just kind of how it is. And if I get a couple of tickets to an A's game, I always point, I mean, it's different now because Canna's not on the team, but Mark Canna will approach the plate. The man has beautiful music. He's very pro female musical artist. So he had Aretha Franklin last year for his walk-up song. And you, you have a girlfriend with you, you have a, a friend with you who doesn't care about baseball. They know the Aretha Franklin song. And they're like, why is that playing? And you sit them down, you tell them why. You say, Mark Hanna loves female artists and he wants to embrace them. Sometimes he's just in the mood. He had Madonna as his walk-up song, like a virgin. You have to want to, want to know why that guy has that. And right. one time he actually signed a potato. He autographed a potato. And my editor at the time texted me. He goes, I need for you to get an exclusive and ask Mark Canna about the potato. I can promise you the other journalists around me would have never done that. 
for me, I was like, say less, bro. I got you. I ran right. into the locker room and I was like, can I ask you about this? He's like, and he had fun with it. He said, you never forget your first signed potato. It was a great article. <laughs> it was a great headline. People from The Athletic complimented me on it. So, you know, it was good. And I thought it was important because it goes to show like it was fun. Mark Canna remembered me forever after asking him a sure. question. But you also want to know that's a good starting point too. my girlfriend that I was sitting by. It's like, well, this guy is going to be your new favorite player because I talked to him about a autographing a vegetable yeah. and then from then on they followed mark canna the rest of the season because they heard that little thing they couldn't care less about the game they just knew right. mark canna was the guy who signed a potato and and that was great too so something as small as that will fill a butt put a, a butt in the seat and right. have my friend text me like hey what's the deal with mark canna and like same thing like i give them updates just because they want to know but it's never but baseball updates it's like hey like how's marcy his wife or you know what's his walk-up song right now he had mac dre's his walk-up song and he was of course uh, mark canna was great about he said he's a lesbian and gay advocate and ally and trans sure. ally and you want to know about that stuff so then i want to be winded and then tell you their slash line I want you to be, I want you to tell, tell you all the quirks, all the great things that make that person great. And then be like, oh, right. And they're really struggling against lefties right now. And that's, that's what I think is important. I feel like you can look up at everything on the baseball reference page, but the little quirky fun stuff to make the other people fall in love with the sport makes it good. And you think about that with NBA, they do a beautiful job. You want to know what right. Ron James is wearing after the game and the pop culture, the pop culture stuff, the fashion and everything like that. I think we're slowly MLB is getting into it, but I think it's going to be a while. But that stuff is what makes it important to me. Yeah, I mean, making them a human being, mm -hmm. uh, you know, first and foremost. Yes, they're. They're great athletes. They're this. They're that. But the fact that you person you you've you've brought somebody down to a, a human level almost. And I think sometimes people struggle. You know, they see athletes, they think you know that they're on a pedestal and that yeah. they're totally different. And the fact is, yeah, there's some some jackasses out there. But for the most part, yeah, yeah, they're just like you, you and me. And yeah, they want to talk about these funny things and, and the potato story, right? I think that's great. And yeah, if it gets a couple fans, that's even even a, a bigger win. It's funny this thing came across on Instagram I saw earlier today. Barstool Sports. I don't know where this came from. The top ten female singers of all time, and they have Ashley Simpson as number seven. I know that's neither here nor there, but I just had to throw that out because you mentioned the the uh, female vocalist. And so, oh, it's a very interesting list. I okay. don't. Don't know if I agree with you know, it. But. It kind of sounds like one of those, you know, those maps they show like what your most famous fa fast food is in your state. Yeah. Never yeah. correct. They just want people to get pissed off. That's what it exactly. reminds me of. Yeah. I think yeah. Ashley Simpson is thrown in there just to, yeah, to aggravate people. Yeah. Now, now look, I know. I'm actually multiple... really aggravated now. Thanks. That like really upsets me. But what, did yeah, Ashley never. Simpson's number seven? There we go. Or just on the list. Oh yeah, I don't, no yeah, offense, don't even get but me. You know. Don't get me started on 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 that. Yeah. Now I know multiple kick-ass women in sports media that are doing some fantastic things. You know, shout out to Temple University's journalism program where I teach. But yet too often, bros specifically, it's funny talking barstool sports here. You think everything that the females do in media is based on looks, right? And that that that's how you advance. But it really cheapens you as a professional, and you know this, right? Right. So you dabble in creating these witty T-shirts with baseball slogans. I've seen them before. You know, one that jumps out that I've recently seen. Oh yeah, name three players, right? Yeah. So that shirt. Can you talk a little bit about what that slogan symbolizes, the meaning behind it, and why it's important? So I actually, yeah, I I developed that one myself, and it was a 
it was Hit Factory on Instagram, and they personally reached out and said, we want to make some more female-friendly shirts. And I I want to wear cute shit to a baseball game as a fan. I don't like wearing, like, A's gear if I'm going to an A's game, not just because of the journalistic part. I just don't – I don't like wearing – team gear. I don't know why, just something I don't like. So I was like, what can I do to kind of, you know, make it fun? And I hate when people, I'm, this is no disrespect, but I've seen the shirts that say like, I probably know more about baseball than you. And it's like for a right. girl and it's may not even be true. Right. So then my thing was why not lean into, oh yeah, name three players. Because when I go on dates, when I, all these other things, when I, I tell them what I do for a living, it's either is Buster Posey cool or they, I get quizzed. And one quiz, and this was the funniest story ever. I was living in Reno and this guy kept it in his mind that I was working for MLB network, that I was on TV, which goes to show like how much they think women are only supposed to go on TV and that's it. But I was working for cut four at the time. I was writing articles for them. And he goes, he didn't have to finish the question. This was when Chris Davis had his fourth consecutive 247 year. And, and before the guy even finished his sentence, he goes, Oh, then what's Chris Davis is. And I was like, batting average 247. And I got, I went off on him. I was like two white wines deep. It's fine. But I said, <laughs> why are you asking me a question that's on the bottom sports center ticker? That's not even an actual good quizzed question. Right. And then he goes, why well, have I never seen you on TV? And I was like, cause you obviously don't pay attention when I say I write for MLB.com. And that's what, so it was a whole thing. So it's right. stuff like that. And people, of course, like there was one guy I was, I made this joke about Chris Taylor, how Chris Taylor, Chris Taylor goes off in the postseason, And I made, I kind of compared him to like a pumpkin spice latte, how we don't really hear about him during the, during the regular season. And boom, he goes off in the, in the postseason, literally complimenting him. And somebody right. said, Oh, well, you're wearing this name three player shirt. You can't even do it. And it's like, that's fine. You want to make fun of whatever. So for me, it was, it was kind of like an eight mile moment where I'm going to tell you everything. You're already going to probably bash on me before you actually do it. Right. And in that way you're whatever. Right. So it, it's more than just name. Oh yeah. Name three players. It's let's get this out of the way before you can get a big ego and try to quiz me. I don't want to approach it saying like, I'm going to know more about sports than you and let's flip it the other way. And then I, I made the joke covering the A's. Not a lot of people can name three players on that team. So sure. it was kind of like, why don't you name three players on the team that I cover? And I've covered for the last three seasons. And that was part of the conversation starter as well. And I also knew that I knew enough about the game to confidently wear it. And then show like, this is the bullshit that women have to deal with and everything like that. And it's, you know, like I said, I look to the left, look to the right. I mean, the press box. And if they're the men that I'm sharing that with have less baseball playing experience than I do. And sure. you flip it and you go on a panel with certain former players, they're asking you questions. So why is it any different from that? part you know we hired um Dontrell willis to be um our analysts over at nbc sports bay area and while he of course didn't play for oakland he's a bay area guy and he said he would he picked my brain he's like jess i can't wait to learn from you imagine a former all-star world series guy two-way player saying jess i can't wait to learn from you and that's no different than me if I were to cover Dontrell being like, hey, your weird wacky wind up, tell me about that. Or how are you so successful at the plate and everything like that. So interesting from that from that point of view and all of that. So that's where it kind of stood. And I'm just like a smart ass too. Like that's just literally who I am. I I, I hate 
I, I add, of course, filters and stuff on social media who doesn't, but for the most part, you're getting me across right. all platforms. Um, and I think that's important just for me to go to sleep at night and it's good for being approached. I want my, my followers to approach me. I want job opportunities to present themselves. And of course I want players to be comfortable with me so I can interview them. And I feel like that's part of it as well. And like, if I, if I help social media people in, in, in the process, it's great too. And, and I didn't get any money from that, um, that part, it helped a small business and I was happy to do it. And it goes, it, it was more female friendly and they wanted to help out women and all of that. So I, I leaned into it a little bit. No, I, I love it. And I think it, it's a great slogan. And, you know, again, having worked with a, a ton of um, female students who have gone on and, and done some outstanding things, um, you know, it's great to see this this pushback. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for far too long, there's been the stereotype of, oh, you must be moving on because of some reason. It's like, hey, no, I, I probably know more than you or I do know more than you. And I'd like the kind of in your face part of that. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things I love you've talked about in the past is this importance of authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. And you gave an example of how early, early in your career, this was on another podcast or interview you had, uh, your mom overheard you on TV and didn't recognize it was you because the flow and the delivery was too stubborn. Yeah. Just, it wasn't you, right? Yeah. How challenging do you find it to balance this line of being authentic while also upholding this old school thought media, how a person should behave, look, act, et cetera? Um, kind of like what I said earlier, it's, it's a challenge, but I'm, I'm up for it. And obviously the first time you go, like, especially with NBC, the first time I went on TV, um, I, I was just nervous. I wanted to get all the facts, right? There are certain times I can't like jokingly talk about AJ Puck's injury. Like I can't, I don't right. want to be, that's a, like a dick move. Right. And you want to be comfortable and relaying the message that Bob Melvin or the, paparesta the head trainer gave you and stuff like that so you want to ultimately find a balance and what i did was i watched the dontrell willis's and the dallas bradens of the world and you know dallas braden would be like talking he when a ball goes over the fence he called he says next stop pound town dontrell willis is dropping terms like spicy and dallas braden even called um the 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 A's bullpen obviously not this past season but the season prior called it sexual and it's like I want to be able to express how I feel about something in the exact same way. And I know I have tendencies to like run my mouth and be inappropriate, but I also know you can't just drop F-bombs on TV. So for me, I like the challenge of it. I want people to leave, whether they meet me or see me on TV, being both entertained and knowledge. They want to, you left um, learning something. So I, I just like the challenge of it. So I'll start off and I make sure you obviously work with the, the host very well and the producer. Well, you want to make sure you find the balance of that. Um, if it's an injury report, pretty much zero humor should be involved. Um, I feel like that's just not just sure. journalistic integrity. You just, you want to make sure that that person's fine, especially if you watch them as much as you do um, and all of that. But at the end of the day, too, you are considered talent. You want to be fun and all of that. So I know for a lot of the stuff that I write, when I produce some of these things, I want to make sure that somebody's going to be entertained by it. So then if I write it and I love it, I'll go on and be like, hey, can I please just like go on TV and talk about this really quickly? So just like how, kind of fun to find the challenge, too, because that way you're ever changing. And, you know, like one minute I was on um, talking to Bob Melvin about September 11th because he, ha- he was on the World Series team that year with the Diamondbacks. Yep. There's no joking when it comes to that at all. And then yeah. two seconds later, I'm going to go back on talking about a fun story. And I you know, had a one-on-one with Matt Olson's high school coach. So you want to, A, 
challenge yourself. You want to better yourself in that. And you never know what your future is going to hold. And you want to make sure that you're able to mold to what the the place wants you to. Um, But when it came to that example I gave you, my mom was like, babe, you did great. But like, what was that? She literally right. didn't recognize my voice. She didn't recognize, like, she, I, she didn't even look differently because of the way that I was kind of zombie-like and trying not to, and I get it, I was trying not to forget things and I was nervous as hell and I had no reason to be. I knew the material. I knew what I was supposed to do and I and I did it that way. So I feel like that's important too. And just being authentic is just good for your soul because even if I were to come on here today and was 100% full of shit, you maybe you wouldn't know that, but I wouldn't be able right. to go to bed because I was like not being myself. Or even if I get if I go on a date and it's an awful date, I don't care if they didn't like me. Like at least it was myself. I can sleep at night, you know. So sure. kind of like from that. And then especially in this industry, it's tough, man. It is so tough. And I want people to understand that that it's not just an Instagram filter and and you know a twenty second hit and a cute outfit and oh I got a fist bump with Tony Kemp boom that's a day that is not what it is and I want right. people to know the the bullshit that I've had to endure and the the stuff that I've seen because there's no way I'd be able to be as authentic if it was all puppy dogs and candy canes and unicorns and marshmallows. That's not reality. And, right. and I, and I think that's important for people to know that, but I think from then on you need, and I needed to go through it too. And it wasn't just like my mom saying it. Um, and you know, I, I think from then on it was like, yeah, be yourself. You have to be smart and you have to be a good journalist. Um, and you're going to F up sometimes, but you know, remind yourself that, you're where you need to be. You're, you know, the material, they wouldn't put you on TV if you didn't. So sure. Add some more of your personality to it. And then you get remembered that way too. So I think that's very important. Now, Jess, is there one particular thing you wish, you know, from a career perspective that you could go back and either change or do over? Oh, I've never been asked that question to change or do over. So there was one situation I had to host um, A's pregame live. I found out an hour before because our our host was stuck in traffic. He couldn't make it. I wish I would have been more confident in what I needed to do. Because like the first 30 seconds, I was like talking out of my ass about trying to make a joke. And it wasn't even funny. Um, I think AJ Puck got promoted. And I was like, oh, AJ Puck and I both got promoted today. And it was like, I know there weren't crickets, but there might as well have been. I think it just would have been to like trust myself. And I went on with Dave Stewart, who was just like, you got this. I was like, do I got this, Dave? I don't know. And he was like, right. yeah. I was like, why couldn't I have that much confidence in myself that Dave Stewart could have in me um, for my like my second TV thing ever? And I was hosting, scared to death. Um, so I think I probably would have, that probably would have been it. And And even then... They were, I, I picked it up five, you know, after the first five minutes and it was fine. And actually that was the first time I went on TV with Ray Fossey. And I wish I would have tried a little bit harder to become close, closer to him. I think that would have been a, a cool thing too. I think for, for those people listening that want to get involved in baseball media and, you know, really kind of be a part of, be a part of this, it's important. We all mess up, right? Yeah. Self. Everybody is going to have Oprah those. Oh, fucked up, dude. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Every one of us is going to have those times where you ask a question that just doesn't come out right, or um, you're just put on the spot with the camera and and you just freeze up. 
it's normal. And yeah. I just think it's it's good to hear from professionals sort of, hey, yeah, I've screwed up too. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I will I don't think I'll ever freeze. I think I'll just be the person who says random stuff. Right. So don't worry. Talks your way out of it. Exactly. And and I will say Oprah did say once that that sh- the reason why she's confident when she's like everything I've I can or will ever do and it is regards to screwing up has already been done before. You know, you think of anchorman teleprompter stuff. Like that is an actual thing that happens. So yeah. knowing that we've all screwed up, it's like knowing it's like even the the best in the business has has done it before. Now, fans and readers, uh, you know, probably don't know baseball fans and readers probably don't know this uh, as much as you and I. But you know, the last two years, it's been difficult to cover baseball, right? Yeah. Restrictions on us, you know, because of COVID. Here in Philadelphia, the clubhouse was totally off limits. Ours was too. Uh, I don't even remember what a locker room looks like. Yeah, I mean, the, for a long time. Uh, the press box was only like 10 people, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was the same, you know, 10 outlets getting credentialed. Um, thankfully that opened up the second part of this past year, but you know, 95% of our interactions are done through zoom. You know, that hurts us. That hinders our ability as journalists to really read the clubhouse, yeah. get to build relationships with the players. Just makes, it just makes our jobs more difficult. What was your experience in Oakland covering the A's? You know, I'm fearful clubhouse access, you know, could be permanently restricted or limited going forward. You know, I'm right there with you because my favorite part when I write an article is the observations of the clubhouse. And one of my favorite openings or leads, I should say, that I ever did was like when Chris Davis with a K, of course, and Blake Trinan would play basketball with this little basketball game above Trinan's locker. And just like Chris Davis is this quiet guy, but you be, you were able to see like who he actually is around his friends. And then Blake Trinan's very serious too, but they're also approachable in the clubhouse and just like the inside jokes and just how they're feeling. And even Sean and I, after he had a really tough uh, wild card game in 2019, how depressing it was to see him was so imperative to, to tell, to story tell, you know? And so I, I mean, I did the best I could, you know, and right. I know we only had 60 games in 2020, but it might as well have been 162 because I was so exhausted by the end of that season. Mind you, I was, I had, two podcasts and I was covering the A's. It was a lot, but sure. I think that's what was so important. And then, and then you, if you take a step back, if we're all watching it on TV, how are we any different than what the fans are doing? You know? So right. that's kind of important too. And I mean, there were a lot of positives too. I feel like, you know, it made me uh, like understand that technology is, is certainly of the, of the future. I could put a zoom recording together in my sleep I, I, I had to utilize social media a lot to, um, develop sources and contacts, um, just to be comfortable on camera. Actually, it helped all of that stuff too. Um, and how everybody was able to turn, this is like my studio now this behind me and, and just stuff like that. We're able to utilize it. So there's a lot of toughness there, but I think that human interaction was the most tough. And of course we got to able to go on the field, I think halfway through the season, this season, Yep, same here. And it was the first time I saw the like the players were excited to see us, and you know how they feel about the media. It's very hit or miss. But different were, in Philadelphia, yeah. different in Philadelphia than Oakland, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, and they were just very like, oh my gosh, there's people here, and you know, 
I, I pride myself on being very popular on social media too. So like the guys were just stoked to meet me in person, you know, and, sure. and vice versa. Like Tony Kemp walked up to me and gave me a fist bump. And then Mark Canna made fun of my leather pants and like all these things, you know, like little things you had to do. And you couldn't do that if you were sitting in the press box the entire time. And it kind of made me awkward. I'm a very social person and I forgot how to talk to players. Like I really, yeah. I didn't, I forgot. And then like even the communications people, they were like, oh, you can go approach them, whatever. I was like, oh, right. Like I forgot that we did that. And it's been like a year since we've, a year and a half since we've done it. So that was like retraining yourself and all of that. So it was certainly tough. Um, and just getting used to this, the, the small, I'm not saying wearing a mask was a small restriction, but we weren't used to that, you know, and then right, it was right. ever changing too, like testing and then no testing. And then va- va- like I had to get vaccinated and, and in order to do my job, which was, right. I was happy to do it, but it's just crazy that we live in, in a world where that was required and, yeah. and all of that. And then just seeing COVID affect the guys and, you know, because with, with the A's in 2020, they had a COVID situation. There was a hurricane. They, of course, were dealing with racial injustice, police brutality, um, and everything you could imagine what happened in 2020. And it wasn't just COVID. Of course, there was a delay because of MLB versus the league or the players right. versus the league and everything. So that alone was a whole thing. You had to, you had to become a journalist. It wasn't baseball. It was researching what the fuck COVID meant. And you had to research right. what this see the this, these bargaining agreements if you want to call it that were and listening to the players have a voice which i thought was a beautiful thing and so it i feel like covid was a small part of it all and you know same even with the coverage you wanted to be able to see how the players are reacting when you only get a certain piece you know and sure players know how to turn off and on the moment they get out on the field you know compared to the clubhouse and and all of that so it was it was a lot. And I'm even sweating thinking about it. So just how yeah. difficult it was to deal with. And you wanted to be there so bad. And just like as somebody who thrives on a baseball field and at the park, I missed it, yep. you know, and I was worried about the guys, like, how are they going to freaking play without fans? And that was a thing too. So everything you could imagine, the emotions you would imagine you went through were, were, were legit. And then you're isolated while dealing with it all. So it was just, it was tough. It was very tough. Yeah, it was, you know, my 15 some years of covering baseball, definitely one of the more bizarre, more difficult things to do. Uh, you know, it's it's easy to write the game story, right? Yeah. The, the game, you know, the A's beat the Angels nine to six. It's easy to do that. You know, in the fourth inning, this happened, seventh thing that happened, whatever, and get a quote or two and do like an AP story, right? For sure. But that's not what you do. It's not what I try and yeah. do. We, we try and do things a little bit differently. And, you know, without that access, you know, you can't get, you know, as you were mentioning the potato story earlier, right? You wouldn't be able to get that necessarily. What if I never got to ask Mark Cannon about the potato? What do we do, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what I, I asked you earlier, what would you go back and change about your career? What's your proudest moment in this industry? What made it special for you? What would you say? My proudest moment. You know, I think... There was one in particular because my, you know, I lost my dad when I was 19 and the last, the first and last A's game we ever went to, Eric Chavez hit a home run. And it was, um, the reason why I fell in love with the A's was this home run in particular. I looked at the the program. There was randomly a program on the, on the ground that somebody had purchased and dropped, but I picked it up and I saw that Eric Chavez and I shared a birthday. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's my new favorite player. And not to mention when I was, it was the same week I switched from first to third base. Cause I was 
not getting any taller, but my arm was good. So I switched to third <laughs> base and um, fast forward a bunch of years later, my first at like opening home opener, the A's of course were hosting the angels as they always do. And Eric Chavez um, during the opening series was going to throw out the first pitch. And I was covering that game for the first time. I looked down at my phone and my editor said, your dad would be very proud of you. And, oh, that's awesome. and I think just that, not to mention like, you know, it was also the last time I ever would see Tyler Skaggs play in person too. And right. he made like a funny joke about um, how Oakland's so beautiful this time of year. And it just made me laugh because it's like, we all know what people think of the Coliseum and, um, and all of that, you know, seeing Mike Trout just randomly walk up to the, the A's groundskeepers and shoot the shit and Albert Pujols just, you know, everybody just in awe of him. Um, and, you know, it was just a cool, cool moment for me. And I think that was probably it. Like realizing like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And the dad thing and I, I Bernie leaned with Coco crisp that day and introduced myself to people. And it was, it was probably one of the most beautiful days ever. Weather was great. Like everything right. you could imagine, like my hair stayed curly, like all the <laughs> good things you could actually want happened. And, and so, yeah, I think that was, I think Chris Davis hit a home run too. So it was like, okay, this is, this is good. See, it's it's funny, Jess. We're you and I. We're lucky to be involved with, you know, something we love and to do it on a daily or almost daily basis. You know, we become, you know, desensitized to things like mm-hmm. talking to these star players. You know, you see Mike Trout or Pujols or, or Bryce Harper, and you know, you can fist bump them or, or shoot the shit a little bit. You know, things like having access to the field. You know, my son, he's seven. He's blown away by the fact that, you know, his dad stands, right. you know, behind the cage at batting practice. You know, the things that people get blown away by, you know, for you and I you know, are kind of common at this point. Mm-hmm. Is there still something, though, that's small or odd or trivial that, you know, still kind of brings it back for you? I, I know for me, uh, this was three, four years ago. I was covering the Phillies up at Fenway in Boston. And, I remember almost, this was like two hours after the game, I filed my story, did what I needed to do. And I was like, yo, I'm going to walk around here and just kind of let the moment sink in. Like I am covering a ball game in Fenway Park. This place is beautiful. It's nighttime. You know, if you've been to Fenway, it's in the middle of like the neighborhood right there on Kenmore Square and all. It's awesome. And it just was like a moment to let it all sink in. To the point where I think security tried to chase me. Somebody tried to chase me out of there. <laughs> is there a moment like that for you, though, where you just kind of are like, wow, this is incredible. I'm doing it. But it's something that's like small or trivial. You know, believe it or not, it's when the A's play the Yankees. So when the Yankees are in town, it's a, obviously a big series because even this last season, it was important. But every season, it feels like the A's win that series at home. So despite what people think about the Yankees, like Aaron judge is always very beloved because he's a, a Northern California guy when he's there, but just to like, see, you know, John Carlos Stanton kind of walk around and you see how big he actually is and how much history that team has, you know, I think it's such a beautiful thing. So I think when they're in town, it kind of hits me like, right wow, like this is like a legit, I'm not say, taking anything away from the A's or any of the other teams that they're ever playing, but I feel like that for me is pretty cool because, you know, obviously growing up an actual A's fan, you remember the flip from Derek Jeter yep. and you just, you know, the Joe Torre, you know, 
A-Rod, you know, that cover of them all shirtless, you know, like they, they're the team everybody loved to hate except for Derek Cheater, right. And, and all of that. And that's what you thought of. You thought of the Bronx, you thought of all that. So when they come to town, that's, that's pretty big for me, or even something as small as like getting a source um, and tweeting it out and like, and everything like that, that that's super, super cool. Or when I was um, anytime, like a fellow a player knows me just personally and they walk up to me and hug me. Like, that's like, that's really cool for me. And it's like, Oh wait, this person's like a major league baseball player, but I happen to be right. His kids happen to call me auntie Jess. Like, it's just like that. Those little things are are kind of crazy and and stuff like that. So, so those types of things, like I need to kind of remind myself because I'm sure we feel like we take it for granted sometimes and not always on purpose. Like sometimes it's crazy and it's, you know, you have the routine and everything like that. And sometimes just one of those days where you you say, okay, manager availability done game done post game done and you go home. So there's sometimes where it's a, it's a job, but luckily those are, those are quite rare for me. Yeah. There was one time too. I remember where you know I don't get starstruck easily, and and it's rarely with with ball players. But um, Alex Rodriguez, growing up, was always you know my favorite. I remember him, you know, particularly with Seattle, and then the Texas years, and then the Yankees, and you know I ended up ESPN was doing a game at Citizens Bank, and I was like, man, I I want to talk to him because I, I don't want to do a story. I just he's an idol of mine. Growing yeah. up, he was one of my favorite players. I need to tell them. So I hounded or I hung outside the cafeteria at Citizens Bank. I was like, all right, the ESPN crew has to go through here. And just to, you know, fist bump him. And I asked the one question I had for him was, you know, the 1996 All-Star game where I was at with my father uh, for the practice day, the, the home run derby and all that the day before, you know, and, you know, what was it like to play in that game? And what do you recall? What do you remember? And he gave me two or three minutes of his time. Oh, wow. And and I walked away like my ego couldn't get through the press oh, box. Yeah. I was so You thought over you the were top. A-Rod there for a second. Oh, I appreciate I, that. Absolutely. <laughs> I was like blown away. I was like, this is it. Like I've accomplished like everything I've ever wanted to do. I feel like that's that's good too, because some I'm I get nervous to approach A-Rod. I, I've right. seen him many times and I've been nervous to talk to him. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, the other player was uh Jim Tomey. Uh, one of the best oh, gentlemen, yeah. human beings that you will ever meet. Um, again, when I was growing up, I was a fan of his. I was, I looked up to him, and then you know to cover him at the end of his career here in Philadelphia. But then also, you know, the Hall of Fame stuff. We inducted him into the Wall of Fame here in Philadelphia. You know, and to get to to know him a little bit, you know, he's another person that you know he doesn't carry himself like A Rod does. A Rod's kind of you know, there's a different aura about him, yeah. if you will. Um, but he was another person where, wow, this is pretty cool. Like the two players that I've idolized growing up, I've had the chance to speak with and or interview. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, it's so cool doing this. And, you know, when you talk to people, you know, especially here in Philly with Bryce Harper, you're like, wait, you get to talk to Bryce Harper? Right. And it's like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal, you know? That's how it, it's, it's when I would talk to Buster Posey, too. Like, people are like, yeah. you just, I was like, oh, right, right. That's that's the thing. Like, sometimes, yeah. Now, how do you see the future of baseball media, right? Like, what excites you and what scares you about the direction we're headed uh, with regard to coverage of the game? I feel like, 
as the, the thing that I'm excited the most about, just to kind of start this on a happy note, um, I I feel like it's gonna we're gonna be able to cover it in so many different ways. Um, and like I I love that I'm I feel like I'm kind of sometimes the guinea pig of it all. Like there's times where I'm doing like a selfie interview and it still does well you know, or very impromptu interviews, um, doesn't always have to be on television. Obviously, YouTube's blowing up so you can have more creative freedom. I feel like that's certainly important. Um, it's not always just a one-on-one -on -one interview or um, a scrum. You could just like walk up, you know, Dallas Braden did this beautiful thing. It was Daniel Mengden who was start starting on the mound and Dallas Braden walked out with Daniel Mengden onto the field to do an interview. That never happens. And, and that's with the trust of Dallas. That's with the trust of Dan uh, Mengden. That's with, you know, everything. And that, that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago, five years ago. Right. And I feel like that's, what's cool about it too. I feel like a lot of the media personalities are becoming up with the, with the players too, you know, like they like, and I, and Barstool sports, like they go to games, they get a lot of coverage or when a rod's there, he's going to get a lot of coverage too. And I feel like that's right. something to pay attention to as well. Cause you want people who are covering the game that have a good reach um, that are respected and everything like that. Um, I think I'm a little nervous about like the old school stuff, but I think about Bob Melvin, who is obviously an old school player and he was very, he embraced like the 2020 weird roles very well. So, but they're not all going to be Bob Melvin's like that. Right. So I think, I'm really nervous in the next few years, not just the players, but some of the media is going to start. They're going to kind of forget about the respect that the old school game has. And right. I mean, we saw people like, you know, Brett Boone getting pissed off about that, like not, not embracing the transitions of, of the game, which I have a love hate relationship with the game's going to change. Um, and, but you need to respect the actual game itself because we obviously know Manfred's trying to experiment in certain ways. Um, and I understand why he's doing it. Doesn't mean I like that he's doing it. Um, sure. And I think instead of that, and obviously with the CBAs coming up, we're going to see really what the players like and don't like. Um, and, and maybe I am full of crap and they're like, Nope, we love all the old school stuff. Cause I mean, there's a lot of players that are off the record telling me that they are actually okay with some of the things that they're trying to implement obviously not everything um, and all of that. Uh, but I think another thing that I'm actually really excited about is like pop culture in baseball. I hope that we embrace it a lot more. Um, there's little, there's not little, they're great Instagram accounts that are promoting and showboating what these guys are, are wearing when they walk into the field, like what Jock right. Peterson's wearing heading into it, like designer stuff, like the sexiness of the game that we need to pay attention to because it's so successful for other sports as well. Um, so I, luckily I think there's more positives on our, like on the horizon as opposed to the, the, the latter. So tell me though, you have to think that seven inning double headers are a terrible idea. Tell me you're with me on that. I'm hundred percent with you. Cause okay. like the only, I mean, I, the first one that I thought was that the, the double header is yeah, it's so stupid, but I will say to know that Shohei Otani was the first player to ever start on second base in the history of the game is hilarious. That's another stupid rule though. It's a stupid rule, but it's funny that that, because the, the future superstar of the game, he was the guinea pig for that. Right. That's, that's funny. That's funny. It is. I just, this that's is funny. Where, that's funny like a joke. Like that's a joke. Like that's right. Stupid. Yeah. 
this is where too, like I, I don't envy the spot of Rob Manfred and I don't either. And, like he needs to change. The, the, things do need to happen to, again, as you and I have discussed, to get the younger fans in. But I don't know if the Ghost Runner or the seven inning doubleheaders. Thankfully, from what I've been heard, been told, I think all of this is off the table. At least yeah. the seven inning doubleheaders are off the table. They're for sure. They're for sure done. Yeah, but you know the robo umpires. I mean, to me, look is the purest. You know, I know the game needs to change a bit. Yes, there's a lot of umpires that are bad at their job to say the least this season feels like it was a little bit way worse than usual yeah it it did i think that twitter account i'm gonna get the name wrong but umpire score or whatever yeah the scorecard yeah you have to follow that and and i think you you see you know who who is really bad at at their job but i have a conspiracy theory behind it it's a what is it that they're, they're bad on purpose. So when we, which is kind of weird because they want to keep their jobs, right? But sure. they're bad on purpose. So when the um, the robo arms do come to fruition, we're like, thank gosh, because we don't want to yeah. deal with them anymore. Uh, I I still it's a stupid conspiracy. I don't that. want the game to be perfect. I don't. I agree. There will be there'll be blown calls. There will be arguments. There will be ejections. But that's. That's baseball. To me, it's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm a huge hockey fan as well. It's almost like trying to get rid of fights in hockey. Like, oh, I understand yeah. why you may want to. Yeah. But actually, that's, you know, it's part of the game. It's part of the DNA. I'm not a hockey fan. And if I go to a game and there isn't a fight, I want my money back. Right. There better be a fight. Yeah. There better be a fight. I better see some violence or what is the point? <laughs> now, Bryce Harper, it's a name I think we're going to hear on Thursday night called for MVP. Um, especially now I'm here, Mike Schmidt will be one of the people, um, you know, announcing who the MVP winners are coming off the best, one of the best, if not the best offensive season here, recent memory in Philly, you know, you once mentioned that you thought he was worth 400 mil. Um, where do you rank him as far as superstars go in today's game? You know, it's a, it's a tough question to answer because, I don't think he got enough attention this season. Now, mind you, I'm also kind of bitter. I feel like Brandon Crawford should have at least been touted a little bit more in that category. And I realized I was very Bay Area driven, um, but I am I love a resurgence here. I feel like that needs more attention. Moving on. I'm fine. I'm not bitter. <laughs> uh, but I honestly don't know if we – I didn't feel like we cared about Bryce Harper enough, and I don't really 100% know why. Um, and maybe I would just – in my little West coast bubble. Um, but I feel like, I feel like he was overrated to a certain extent. And I don't even know if that's the right word. He just had a huge, like you want to beyond just being a highly touted prospect. He was a highly touted. You're going to change the game forever, sir. So welcome to the game. That's a lot of effing pressure. So you get into the game, you're, you're unique in your own right but we weren't embracing who he actually was. We were embracing who he, we wanted him to be, which why would we do that? Why don't we just like, like Bryce Harper for who he is, even with his quirks, with the clown question, bro era. Why didn't we ride that into the sunset? We should have done that. And that alone, like goes to show what, how weird MLB is. So obviously he had like the, the decline and everything like that. And, um, Obviously, the Giants were a big name, like going after him when he was a free agent. And I was writing that to the cows came home. But sure. I feel like he superstardom 
maybe it was because Shohei like put on a show this this year. But I right. feel like he's he's certainly up as a, as a top five superstar for me, and he definitely put like the 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 numbers are certainly there. I want to see more of, of the Bryce Harper who he deserves to show off, and that's outside of of the the Baseball Reference page. I want to see him have more fun with everything, um, embrace you know the 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 bat flips and the weirdness sure. and all that. So I feel like superstardom <clears throat> is. I think he liked kind of being on the DL a little bit more because of all the pressure that was on him. Now that pressure is off, I think he could resurge himself. So you're going to have him, Otani, uh, Mike Trout, and then, of course, all the shortstops who are on the free agency market after they're all signed. I feel like we can have a lot of fun next year with all these, like, WWE type of vibes and have him be a heel and, like, have all of that. I think that'd be really, really cool. But he's always been a superstar to me. I just don't think he got the right – introduction into MLB. Now, I think part of this season, you know what's wild with the Phillies? You have, you know, Bryce Harper and Zach Wheeler who could win, you know, the MVP and Cy Young. Right. And the team doesn't even make the postseason. I think part of it is, you know, if if anything, like you're mentioning on the West Coast, the overlooking part, not knowing how good of a season it was, is partly because of how lousy the Phillies were. Mm-hmm. Um which blows me away too. The Braves winning the World Series. There's fans here in Philadelphia. You know, well, the Phillies entered the last weekend or the final week of the season, you know, within striking distance of Atlanta. So by default, the Phillies must be close to a World Series. It's like, no, not at all. You know, that yeah. mindset just blows me away. I, I still, and I was talking to a player once about this, um, and he, he kind of went off about like MVP voting and like the baseball hall. He goes, he said, there's too many fucking nerds around some of these, these voting yeah. things. And this is before I pressed record, but he was just, <laughs> cause I asked him, I asked, I asked him if a specific player will, is going to be a hall of famer. And he said he deserves to be, but I'm sick of these fucking nerds being in, in charge of all this stuff. And obviously MVP and these types of, of awards should be very numbers driven, but I want the tiebreaker to be, if you want to be a, like a postseason team, that's fine too. But I also think that's right. bullshit. I, I I don't like that you're just like, oh, well, Bryce Harper didn't make it to the postseason. So maybe we shouldn't like count him. I don't like that. But I feel like it, whatever your tiebreaker is, it needs to be kind of same thing right. across the board. Now, I will say this too with Harper. And again, this is tough because this isn't always seen especially if you're not in the Philadelphia market or at a Phillies game. I agree. He, I, 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 he was not on my radar, but radar a bunch this season. Yeah. He, he plays to the fans like no other and, yeah. and the fans adore him. Like he'll go out, he'll do the, the hair flip. He wears the Philly oh, fanatic I spikes. Flip. I mean, and he plays to it and he's just, he's beloved. My hope or my fear is, you know, this is a massive contract he has. Um, he's v- been very vocal, but he's been correct in what he has said the last two years about the Phillies farm system being weak. The Phillies need to do certain things. You know, I hope he doesn't get disgruntled to the point I want out of here because things could get ugly quickly. But also his contract is is forever. Mm-hmm. And at the end, you know, I think he'll be 39. And, you know, these contracts, I, that, that concerns me when we're years away down near the end of it how to look. I just hope for right now that Dave Dombrowski and, and the front office are really thinking, hey, we have Harper, we have Real Muto, we have Hoskins, you know, we have Wheeler, we have uh, Aaron Nola, who, 
you look at his expected ERA, it was much better than what, what his output was. What do you think they're going to do at shortstop, though? Because obviously we know the market. Didi Gregorius doesn't have the star. He was Dombrowski was vocal. He's probably not going to be the starter. No. That first rounder, that's his job to get during spring training. Welcome Maybe. to the majors, Bryson. Yeah. <laughs> Bryson Stott. I mean, yeah. and, and here's the fear there, right? How are you how are you going to be a team competing for the division? Because let's face it, the Phillies are stuck in this no man's land where they they can't rebuild because there's nothing to rebuild with from the farm. Yeah. You know, they have the 27th, 28th farm system ranking. Um, they they don't want to go over the um uh, the luxury tax unless they're you know, within striking distance of the World Series. Yeah, that's it definitely what, sounds like it's like not like what we don't the, the money that was given is like there's no real limits there, but <clears> right. But they've also kind of said, well, there's some limits. And that's where, well, we don't want to spend frivolously and then get to the point where we're not going to reach the World Series anyway. It's going to be interesting, Jess. It really is. Uh, you know, they need an entire left side of you know the field. They need a center field. You need back-end starting rotation. Yeah. I love Zach Eflin. I don't think he's going to mirror what he did this year. I definitely – I love Ranger Suarez. Yeah. I don't think he can duplicate next year what he did this year. You need to redo the bullpen. You need a backup catcher, although I think we may have that in-house with uh, Marshawn. So there's a lot of, like, what do we do? Well, you and- know, one of my big questions, and I, and I don't know if people are talking about enough with the Phillies, is their defensive capabilities because you oh. have those three, the the starting rotation here, they're all ground ball pitchers, right? Yeah. So you want to think about tidying up that defense. And I don't yeah. think Dombrowski really talked about that specifically. Um, obviously, he mentioned shortstop, of course, but as far as making it a very strong defense and just, I mean, to have that backup for to repeat maybe what Wheeler could do again right? and and all of that. And, you know, obviously coming from a sunny gray era, you want that strong defense where you're just not worried about anything. And obviously I'm spoiled watching the Olsen, the, the mats, uh, but sure. I also know that that is so imperative for like that and it spills over to a great starting rotation also yeah i mean defense has been a significant problem the last last few seasons they're like ranked toward the toward toward the yeah and and i believe it was dombrowski that even last year said you know we knew we wouldn't be in the top echelon but we didn't think it would be as bad as it was um, you know, I think part of that was Alec Boehm, who was a rookie last year, high expectations because he came off a really stellar second part of the 60-game season. Um, I think defensively he had some issues. I think he brought them those problems to the plate with him and underperformed. I think they're going to look at him at third and 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 you know hope that he turns a corner. Yeah. But there's some, some significant concerns there, and uh, defense is definitely one of them. Back into the rotation. It's a huge Costco shopping cart worth of needs that y'all need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you saw Noah Syndergaard and what happened there today, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. What was it? $21 million? $21 million. Just became official because the – or not like official. Official. Right. It's not official until they tweet it out. What world do we live in? That's so crazy. But, you know, know. it's uh, the physicals done. But he's never faced like any of the ALS teams, which is kind of interesting. It is, but he hasn't – I mean, how many innings has he pitched in the last two years? Yeah. I mean, and he's going to have to be on an innings limit, I would Uh think, going into next season. 
Um, and the Angels are in a really weird spot. I mean, I know with, you know, you have Trout, obviously, um, you know, but, uh, you know, Otani, I they don't know. And they, they never got rid of Iglesias at the trade deadline, which no. blew my mind. I, yeah, I, 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 mean, I don't. I actually asked David Force that. I was like, because they brought in, they, they I, I personally think they had the best trade deadline, but that's just me, the A's. But um, um, Andrew Chafin after they got him, I was like, you need a better bullpen. And Forrest was like, it was, he didn't say these words, but essentially it was a shit show of a market when it came to relievers, which is good. I think these guys sure. deserve the monetary values and all of that. But I feel like it's such a big need now that the shit show will not stop. Just going to continue being a mess. Well, and and I think that the one name uh, who was Aaron Loop, I think the Phils have been connected to, and it's like, well, we had him two years ago, yeah. And if I remember right, he was brutal. Uh, you know, it's such a uh, you roll the dice, and I think you hope that you have some internal candidates through your farm system that can yeah. take some of those spots and perform well. Or and like that's something switch to switch him to a bullpen role or something, right? Yeah, and, and that's something the Phillies just have not been able to mm-hmm. produce for for years now, really since. You know the um, the two thousand you know eight to twenty eleven team that that went on and had some success. Yeah. Um, you know, so talking about these ridiculous salaries and big shopping lists, right? So, you know, we're we're talking about this and all these these moves that need to happen. But Jess, we're on the cusp of a work stoppage here. Something that hasn't happened in oh yeah, you know, that a, old a co- thing. Yeah. yeah, a quarter of a century. Are, are we going to see baseball in the spring? You know, I I've been it feels like I'm like pressing refresh on like everything. Cause I feel like every day it's different. Unfortunately, from what I'm hearing, like the big names in the industry, like the front office execs don't feel confident that the season right. is going to start. I don't want to say on time. I don't know that. I don't know how these actually, these things actually work in the CBA. Cause I haven't dealt, I haven't been in the industry with the work stoppage. I've talked to Dave Stewart about it before when they had their strike and I don't want people to twist my words. I think it's beautiful that the players feel like they're comfortable enough to express themselves through the PA of what they deserve. I die hard believe that. Um, But I just hope that everybody's listening. The people that are in charge are, are listening. And the, the main thing that Tony Clark was talking about was, you know, the monetary values as far as the competitive, the, the competitive salaries and the, the taxes and everything like that. Um, you want to make sure I like the idea of a floor for sure. Um, right. and I think it'd be fun to see how the A's handle that. <laughs> um, yeah. it's like, Oh wait, we're allowed to spend. Like we don't understand. Um, and the Orioles, the Orioles need to be yeah. held accountable there too. I could see them just being like, I don't know. It's like a food pyramid and you only, all you ate was candy. Yes. You have to eat all the other things. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, and I do know like the competitive bonus bit. I think that that's all, that's a very important factor as well because people don't understand it as much, but you also have to remember that we, we can't be waiting until the trade deadline to make some of these moves. You, I like that part of it because it's important and all of that, but you want to start off the season being like, okay, this is what's going on. And yeah, if you, you know what I noticed though, like you have like the Sunday night baseball games and it's always right. a theme like, the Yankees and A's heading into the season, that was going to be a game like to pay attention to. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the season, like both teams kind of suck and you're like, whatever. But I feel like that's what the overviews are. I want that. I want people to think going into the season, the Astros are going to blow everybody away. And maybe that doesn't happen or the Phillies come out and they surprise everybody. We want that stuff. 
but you want to have that even playing field at the beginning, which is why they have the competitive tax bonus and all of that. And, and you start out from that. I'm probably not using the exact terms. There's so many damn terms when it comes I to know. money. I just you need a law degree for yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, who knows? Like, don't sue me if I'm not making the, like you guys <laughs> catch what I'm throwing. Yes. But um, so it's, it's from that. So I do love that factor. And it feels like that's the main thing is they want the competition. These guys have been playing sports their whole life as much as they love the money as much as they love everything they want to win and you want them to be happy and if they if they win they're happy you get wins by spending money it's not rocket science right but i am curious to see what the other stuff is whether it's you know like the games the amount of games obviously all those extra rules what they genuinely feel about them there could be some guys are just like i don't really mind you know like a Hopefully they don't. They do mind the the double header thing, but yes, you know the three pit, the three batter minimum and stuff like that. Which I feel like that one was the one that they cared the least about, from what it sounds right. Like. They were like, eh, whatever, either way, because they knew how to kind of work around it, which was interesting and all of that. But yeah, so yeah, I I I remember the previous work stoppage because the expos were. Looking like they they had a shot at the World Series, and then every, the the rug got pulled out from under everybody. And you know, baseball it took years to to come back. And you know what brought baseball back? The steroid era, which nobody wants yeah. to go through again. You know, McGuire and so I wouldn't hate it. I well, hate it. <laughs> hey, we it, 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 you know this is what the second lowest ranked World Series television view wise. Um, you know. For for Major League Baseball, oh yeah, they need to do something. What was the batting average? It was a historic low at one point, like two twenty something at the in like June or something. It was like I remember looking at that number, like that can't be. Oh, it is. Yeah, well, and you know that went up then after what was it the uh, the the sticky tape or whatever it's called, sticky tack, spider spider tack. Spider tech, yeah. So who? And have who you ever played with that stuff, Patrick? It's like no. I want. I want. You need. I. I need eyelash glue like that. I actually put. Really? I put it on a ball, and I was holding it like this forever. And you know, <sighs> wow. I mean, I, I played growing up, and like I, I remember the exact consistency of stuff that I liked. But I don't think I could play with that much. But people, I mean, I, I understand why that could be an advantage. But good lord, that stuff is I know. insane, insane. Well, look, talking about some of these things that, you know, are, are impacting baseball, pace of play. Is this something, you know, we're, we're, we're looking for these ways to cut a minute out here, two minutes there. You know, one of the most ridiculous ones to me is the intentional walk, right? Where we're not going to throw the four pitches. We're just right. going to tell the umpire, yo, put him on first. And, you know, to me, again, as the purist, you lose something with those four pitches. You never know. You know, one gets by real Muto or whatever, something happens, right? Big deal. Um, no, no, so, no, never. I know he's probably he the one never. that wouldn't miss one of those, but either way, yeah. Point being, you know, is pace of play something that, you know, are we going to gain fans if we trim 12 minutes off of a game? No, and I, and I, I, I want to say the, like you mentioned, the, uh, the intentional walk thing. And I, I was so curious about this. So I asked so many pitchers at every level and they all, all said they, they would rather keep it because even as a pitcher, when you know that could screw you over, they were like, yeah, that that could literally change the game. And to know that it was a highly tended prospect pitching prospect prospect too, who told me, no, like 
if I throw the over homeboy's head and this happens, da, 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 like that's, I know that's on me, but like, also that's a game changer. How different is it if like you get the yips, which is a totally different yeah. podcast, you get the yips, you're trying to throw it to first as a pitcher. How is that any different? Right. You know, yeah. like it's, it's kind of like from that. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I don't think it makes a difference with that. And plus like, uh, I just get the chills thinking of when they would intentionally walk Barry Bonds, like inject that into my vein. That's probably a bad form <laughs> to you. Sorry. Shoot. You know what I mean? I do. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, it was different. I think, you know, yes, the game at times is slow. I think that that's something though, if you're a fan, you're, you're going to be okay with. And, you know, yes, I would say they need to make these world series games in particular a little bit earlier. All right. Oh, yeah. It shouldn't be, 11:30 at night on the east coast and now, we're sitting here in the that fourth we're getting inning. older patrick like i got stuff i know right do, you know that's stuff I, i'm hitting 40 soon enough so yeah i mean it's it's tough but i you know I, I think something needs to be done but i just think trying to shave 12 minutes off of a game is just not the right not the right move but like what else can they really do if that's their genuine genuine goal which okay we know that it's out there what all can they do? It's like the the sport you can't do it to. So like I know, right? That's and that, but that's the beauty it of it. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of it. There yeah. is no there is no clock. I mean, well, it, the NBA. Up, yeah, even try to speed up a pitching a pitcher like warming up. You want to injure him now? Good luck with that. Like okay. Well, and not only that, Jess. I don't know. At Citizens Bank Park, they have the the clock pretty close to the press box where you can see it. Nobody follows that clock. Yeah. Unless there's some special thing I'm unaware of in the press box, no one's following it. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't envy the position Rob Manfred's in. There's a lot of things that he needs to address and take care of. I just don't know a if this is one that can be taken care of. Yeah. And b, I'm scared based on his track record to see what he comes up with. Yeah, and he's to take care of it. Experimenting, experimenting, experimenting. So every year it's like a different sport. It's stupid. Right. It's Changing stupid. the ma- the distance yeah. from the mound. I think the Atlantic League is doing that. Uh, yeah, I, I am not. I will interested. say it was one of my favorite tweets ever tweeted. It was like, oh, we wanted to market players better. So then we decided to to extend the mound a foot. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. We did it. We did it. Yeah. We, we've changed. We've revolutionized, revolutionized baseball, as you've known it. Did it. Now, Jess, a couple more personal questions here. Um, you know, knowing what you know now about sports media and baseball, right? And it's clear as day that you are knowledgeable in this subject and, and you – um, you know, have rightfully, in my mind, earned, as I mentioned earlier, one of these top upcoming spots in journalism. What advice would you go back and give yourself before you started on this journey? Um, I think I would I would try to be more authentic earlier. Um, I, I'm not saying that I, I waited forever, but and it's not just about like tweeting what's on my mind or saying what's on my mind. It's like asking the questions I'm not comfortable asking or you know, showing up and then apologizing later type of stuff um, and reminding myself that I belong and, and telling myself like, you're on the right track or doing this. It's, it's going to be a freaking bumpy ride and everything like that. And probably also like to have faith in myself that like everybody else is on their own journey. They're doing what they do, but that doesn't mean like like the social media envy is a huge thing, you know, and I would see people sure. like posing at the world series and, 
everything like that. And I'm like, why am I not there? And this and that. It's like, cause this is their time. It's your get, you'll get yours in a second. And mine always came around. So I think right. it was just reminding myself that wherever I'm at at this exact moment is where I'm supposed to be. And even right now, like I'm no longer with NBC and it's like, I'm in between things and it was scary, but like, I know that's all part of what I'm supposed to be doing next and all of that. Um, so, so definitely that, and just to keep chugging along and have faith in myself and really pay attention to who genuinely wants what's best for you and, and all of that, because that you find out rather quickly and just, I mean, the work hard thing, I never had to tell myself to work harder because I worked very, very hard. Um, and not just, it doesn't always have to be like on camera, social media stuff. Production work was extremely important to my career. So to not worry about some of those tasks that maybe I thought were daunting, um, and all that, even doing more than just baseball, like covering the warriors was awesome. So definitely to open myself up to more sports. I think I would have, I would tell myself to do that. And, um, you're never going to grow. You're always going to be short. So stop. <laughs> yeah, that, you stop know, trying to pretend like anything is going to change. I think I would have grown by now. Like I'm going to be 33. Like the, the, it didn't, that didn't happen yet. So the imposter syndrome is real, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. you, you're always going to feel, especially when you're early on in, in your career in this field, do I belong? Have I done enough? And, you know, I think that's something that it's normal to feel. And I think also what you said, and I love this, and I preach this to all the students I teach, to the college athletes I work with, having faith, right? And and knowing, yeah. as you outlined here, like my time will come. And mm-hmm. it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But assuming I continue to put in the work and the time and I'm dedicated, my heart's in the right place, I'm doing the right things ethically, then good things are going to happen. Yeah. You know, and it's okay to you know, kind of have a little bit of a, a pity party and I be just down. Say, feel the feel. Yeah, gotta feel the exactly. Feel. Yeah, exactly. You can do that for a little bit, but, but the important part is, all right, I'm brushing myself off. I'm taking tonight to do whatever I need to do tomorrow. It's a new day. I'm getting back at it. Yeah. And, and definitely like taking breaks too is super important. I, I was, I, I loved that I work 24 seven for a long time. And I, I, I'm glad I didn't work 24 seven for a long time. We know the schedule, it's crazy, but yeah. you really have to take some time for yourself because you get burned out. You start resenting the sport you love for a little bit and you don't want to do that. And I feel like that's important too. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of reporters. It, it boggles my mind. You know, you'll be sitting there covering a game and it, it'll be, again, this is pace of play. It'll be 12, eight, the sixth inning, the bullpens have already been obviously into the game and you know, you got reporters, you know, bitching and complaining like, Oh man, we're going to be here all night. And it's sort of like, dude, you got into this because of how much you, like you allegedly love the sport. Yeah. Right. I mean, I get it too. You're stuck. You got a plane, you got a catch, you got this going on, you're on deadline. I do get it, but it's funny. It's the same reporters that are always complaining. Yeah. And it's really, like, dude, there's a million, not a million. There's, there's 500 students down the street at all these different universities here in Philly that would kill to have your job right now. And they Shut would not be complaining. No, They're no. They'd be for a 13 inning game. They're like, let's exactly. go. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Jess, what is something that people on Twitter, fans or followers of you uh, misunderstand about you? Ooh, I think um, it's, I'm not always going to be like the comedian. I think that's yeah. important too. Like sometimes I, I feel like I want to tweet something like 
about life or a personal thing and people will make like a smart ass comment, which I know they can say whatever they want. I feel like that's the beauty and the negative spots of social media. But like, I think they need to have a lot of grace with me because like when I, I, like I've dealt with a lot, like even, you know, going through unemployment or, you know, like I had a really tough mental health uh, year. And even when I would tweet out some things about it, I would say like my DMs are open and people were really inappropriate in the DMs, not just like in sexual ways, but just like, like stuff that you shouldn't be saying after you you say you want to be there for somebody who's struggling with mental sure. health and stuff like that. So I feel like I would like to be taken a little bit more seriously in that regard. Um, I think that's super, super important. And um, I'm not always going to be right with a lot of things. Um and I don't mean that from like a source perspective. I mean, like if I put a prediction out there of an analysis piece, that's part of it. Like speculations, definitely a thing that happens, but I, I'm very open about that and, and stuff like that. Um, so I think those are probably the most important ones. I don't always want to be like messed with, you know, sometimes right. it's just like, if I tweet something out, that's important, do it. And um, I'm not always like, always going to be in like one of those like angsty people who likes to dunk on people. Like that's what I like to do because I feel like I have to defend myself a lot. Um, But that's not who I am. I have a huge heart and I'm loyal to a fault, but some of the dunking on like, like you guys bring that on yourselves because you ask stupid questions. Let's be honest. (laughs) There are a ton of those out there. I mean, social media is great and it's awesome because it does give a lot of people a chance to interact with with us and a chance for us to share, you know, our stories and, yeah. and what we're trying to get. I mean, let's be honest, without social media, you know, our platforms may not be as popular. But uh, on the I flip agree. side, you're so true. Like, hey, look, we're human beings and, you know, you may just see us as a Twitter avatar, but, you know, there's there's stuff going on, whether it's a family issue, yeah. school issue, job issue, whatever. You can't just come at us with nonsense all the time and expect yeah. uh you know, expect us not to, you know, feel any of it. Right. So what's next, Jess? I know, you know, you mentioned NBC sports, um, you know, what, what, what are you looking for right now? Where are you hoping to, to go? I mean, are you, I, I hope you're trying to stay in media and, and particularly in baseball, you know, how, w- what's next for you? I want to be the um, the next MLB commissioner. Um, it's going to take me a while to get there. Um, you got no. pace of play to deal with. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't 100% know, but I'm lucky enough where I have a lot of good leads right now. Um, it's a the best time to, A, take a break and re- rem- remind myself that, like, my job's great, but it's not my life. Um, so that's, that's something that I've definitely been working on as well. Um, very important to very yeah. important delineation. Yes. Um, but I, I will be staying in, in media. Um, hopefully these next couple of things work to fruition. I have amazing people in my corner that are helping me with that. Actually some meetings this week. Um, so hopefully I can announce some stuff soon, but more than likely I'll be back um, in MLB media next, next season for sure. So good things happening. And, and if not, there's always something else that God has planned for me. So it's fine. I love the attitude, Jess, and I think for me and for many, many others, we want these meetings this week to go well yeah. and, and for you to, to to be around because, again, we we need people like you in the sport and in media. Thank you. Uh, you, you bring a lot to the table, and I think that's that's important. Where can people find you on social media? 
Um, at, at Kleinschmidt JD on Twitter, um, Jessica Kleinschmidt on Instagram. I'm trying to do more Instagram stuff. I feel like every day, like you can't really differentiate what's the more popular social media platform. Um, but I feel like Twitter is, is definitely always great. Um, especially during the off season with all the rumors, but Instagram trying to freshen up my content there. So those are the two main spots where you can find me. Jessica Kleinschmidt, you are awesome. And I appreciate you taking the time here tonight. Um, to speak with me, the Philadelphia Baseball Review Podcast. Um, you're great. And going forward, please stay in touch. Anything I can do to help you out, um, you know, I absolutely will. Thank you so much. All right. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation I had there with Jess Kleinschmidt. She's incredible. She is going places. Her her combination of wit, humor, and knowledge of the game is just, she's the total package. Follow her. Definitely follow her. Now, while you're doing that, Subscribe to our, our podcast also. Hop on iTunes or, or Spotify. Look us up if you haven't yet and subscribe. And if you can also, hit the like button. Give us a review. All of that helps. Also on Twitter, be sure to follow me if you haven't yet. P. Gordon, PBR. Uh, all kinds of information there about the Philadelphia baseball scene as it relates from high school on up to the Phils. And then lastly, our newsletter. We released it uh, two, three times in the offseason uh, per week. You can subscribe to that by visiting PhiladelphiaBaseballReview.com. Scrolling down to the bottom of the page, just put your email address in and you'll be linked. You'll be getting all of the off-season info that you need as it relates to baseball across the Quaker City. So for that, I'm Patrick Gordon. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Philadelphia Baseball Review Podcast.